American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Computer, locate and display. The text of the novel entitled Hotel Royale by Todd Matthews. Accessing. Ah. It was a dark and stormy night. It's not a promising beginning. Make it better. Welcome to Positively Trek, the glossy magazine version of the book club this week. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me, as he is every week, is, of course, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, we're talking Star Trek magazine short stories this week. Are you ready? I am so ready. I feel so glossy right now, just like (laughs) the magazine. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm noticing that kind of shine to you. It's it's been shined up. It's... (laughs) Is that a is that a perfume ad in there as well? This is a really fancy magazine version of Bruce. Hey, you know, just the the fact that you just mentioned the little perfume samples, it just w- reminded me of something I heard years ago. Somebody gave advice that you take those samples and put them in between your curtains to make them smell good at all times. Like it helps <laughs> to deodorize the room. Oh wow, I have not heard that. There you go, life hacks with positively track. Okay. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> That's my glossy contribution to this episode. All right. Well, I, I hmm, interesting. I hadn't heard that one, but uh, I can't, <laughs> try it. You know, I honestly can't remember the last time I saw a magazine, at least one at my place, with a with a perfume ad. But if I ever see one of those again, I'll I'll keep that in mind for sure <laughs> you know it's I, I heard that years ago and even to this day when i see those little perfume ads i think about that i always think about i should try to put that in the curtains and the drapes you know and just see if, like <laughs> I, I, I don't know i i don't know why because my daughter gets like all those types of magazines vogue and stuff right and they have those yeah. ads in there so i might try that sometime huh okay yeah we'll we'll let me know how that works out. I like that. <laughs> well, because I, I'm not into scented things, but recently I did for some reason get scented candles. So here in my little room where I do a lot of my Star Trek reading, I now have like this little spotlight. So I turn the lights off. I tur- I light the scented candles. I have this little spotlight that's behind my head that goes over my shoulder onto the book. Or if I'm reading from an ebook, you know, it's self-illuminated. So... It's like this peaceful Zen thing and the smell of the scented candles. That's, that's like my new reading style now. Oh, man. I kind of love that. My problem recently is I don't have like a reading ritual or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, it's uh, I, I'm going to bed. I have to get up early, but I should probably read a little bit or, you know, I'm on break at work. And so I, I read a bit. 
And I feel like I'm reading less and less all the time. And and I need to like, oh, shoot, we have this episode coming up. I got to get this book read kind of thing, which is not how I like to read a book, right? Like I don't like to be rushed. So I need to take some of your advice and maybe set aside some time and, and really make that time special to to take some time to read whatever it is I'm reading. I really like that. That's great advice. Yeah. I mean, I don't always do it because to your point, sometimes, you know, I'm, I, I do it, you know, laying in bed or I'm whatever, you know, or I'm out, like you said, I have my ebook and I'm reading it. But when I have the time that I can just spend like an hour or two, I'll, I'll sometimes do that, you know, and just, but I have to be careful because then I start to fall asleep sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I'm, that's not so much an issue because I wouldn't mind a good nap, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We could always use a good nap for sure. <laughs> but to your point, I'm so used to like reading quickly through books because of podcasting that there are a few books that I'm reading that we're not doing on the podcast that aren't even Star Trek. And I'm kind of enjoying that it's been like a slow burn reading mm-hmm. through it where I'll sit there and I'll read just a little bit of it. And it's like, all of a sudden, if my wife needs me, it's not a big deal for me to put it down and come back to it later sometime. Or I don't feel this need to, but I got to really finish this chapter. Or my goal was to finish, you know, 60 pages today because I'm trying to get this done. It's taken me about two months to finish a book I'm reading right now. Mm -hmm. But it's only because there's times maybe I'm just reading three pages or four pages in a day. And the next day, maybe I'm reading 20, but it's just whenever available. So it doesn't feel like homework. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is sometimes reading when you're doing it for a podcast and stuff can feel like homework. That's exactly the right way to put it. And ah, sometimes you just want to shake free of that and, you know, yeah, (laughs) maybe pick up a magazine and read a few articles or something like that. Exactly. Well, because sometimes, and this isn't a complaint because I love the fact that when we're podcasting, reading books, it's keeping me on task because I do want to read all these Star Trek books and it's getting me to read more in a year than I typically would. But at the same time, because sometimes I feel in a rush to get through it, sometimes I might miss something in the book or I'm doing it at a time where there's other distractions around and it's just because I've got to read it. So sometimes I miss something or I want to go back and reread something and I never get the chance to do it. You know, mm-hmm. So I sometimes don't, don't get to invest myself into the book as much as I want to. Yeah. Well, the reason I keep bringing up magazines, of course, as I... Glossy, glossy. Glossy magazines. magazines. Yes. As I mentioned earlier, we are covering magazine short stories. And specifically, we both have issue number two of the Star Trek Explorer magazine. And uh, each issue comes with two short stories in its pages. And something we missed with the first issue, we both weren't able to get our hands on this, the digital supplement that they send to subscribers that has an additional two stories in it, uh, as well as some coloring pages, which we'll talk about when we get there as well, because uh, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, Star Trek Explorer, if you're not subscribed, uh, we we gave a pretty glowing review, I think, to the first episode a few podcast episodes back. And I'm continuing to be impressed with this magazine. It's kind of the day and age I don't subscribe to a lot of magazines or or really any except this one at this point. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this magazine. I think they're doing a really good job with it. Yeah, so do I. I like that there's interviews in it that you 
typically wouldn't find online on a website. And there's little Larry Nemechek has his little fistful of data, which I like those types of mm-hmm. uh, things. And of course the fiction in here. So, and there's puzzles. Oh, and the trivia. I actually like doing the trivia. I did pretty well again on this one. I think I only missed two. Okay. Yeah, this one, I remember being fairly impressed with the trivia in the first issue and with it being kind of a mix of more difficult and less difficult stuff. This one, I felt maybe just from my perspective, I was like, oh, there's, there's, you know, it's not too challenging. It was kind of, it felt a little bit more, I, I just felt the one in issue one, there was, there's some more challenge to it, which I really appreciated. No, I, I agree. I thought this one was a little easier. I just think it's funny where I'm like, hey, I only missed two. And then you said, this one wasn't very challenging. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, only missing two out of all those questions. I, I wouldn't, call, you know, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's good too. And, and I wouldn't call that particularly challenging. <laughs> the one, I know one of them that I missed, actually, I think I missed, uh, I know I missed number five, which I won't spoil what the answer is, but it was Locutus derives from Latin. Mm, what was the direct right. translation? That one I didn't get. And I almost guessed the right answer, but then I switched it, which is sad because I did take Latin in high school. Oh, wow. And I should have known that. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess there are a few questions like that, that were a little bit more like, I like the ones where it takes a, just a little bit extra where if someone has just watched the episodes, they have to maybe think a little bit more outside of that to answer. So questions like that, I really appreciate. I like those. The the ones where it's like, well, if you watch the episode, you definitely know the answer. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Right. And there's pictures of crew members from Voyager and it's like, <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, I know who they are. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a little, uh, anyway. Well, speaking of Voyager though, Shall we get to our first short story to talk about in this issue? Because uh, I'm eager to get to some of this this fiction here, and especially with this first story by someone we've talked about a lot on the podcast, read many of his novels, Mr. Greg Cox. Yes, I've always been a fan of Greg Cox's works. Absolutely. Well, this, uh, this first story is called Seven is Greater Than Seven, and it's, it's stylized. It's seven and then the greater than sign seven. So, uh, yeah, it's like a seven versus seven thing. So interesting story here. We've got seven of nine using the Voyager holodeck running simulations where she's fighting herself as a Borg drone. So she's, you know, the regular seven of nine we see from the series, but she's fighting a version of her before she was de-assimilated basically. So she's still a Borg and she's continually running the simulation, but coming up short, she keeps getting defeated by, by the other, the drones seven of nine first impressions of this story. What did you think of this? Well, at first, I I remember when I started reading the story, I was like, wait, is she really fighting herself? Is that what's going on here? I mean, it's obvious even from the picture and stuff, but I wasn't sure if that was really the intent, but it is. And I like it because it is Seven fighting with herself. I don't mean it just 
on the holodeck, but she's always fighting with her past self. You know, she's always in her head, always trying to determine where she is in her place today. Now that she's not part of the collective and she's always trying to deal with that by looking at where she used to be and what she used to be of and, and all these things. So this is a great examination of seven where she is at this time period on Voyager by thinking, Hey, let me, let me pit myself against my former self because back then I felt strong and I feel weaker now, but am I as strong as I used to be? I'm not sure. And she keeps losing to her old self. Yeah. I really appreciated this story. I thought it was an interesting examination of seven psyche, like you say, and the war that she has with herself on Voyager is really brought through in these pages. I think Greg Cox did a great job of kind of taking that struggle and giving it physical form here. And just as a little aside, I love when they're talking about the landscape that they're fighting on. And in my mind, I put it, I set it at the Vasquez rocks because like, why not? Right. You know, it's in so many episodes of Star Trek. I thought that was great. There's the bit by design, the rocky terrain situated upon a wide granite ledge partway up a nameless mountain beneath a clear vermilion sky. I'm like, okay, yep. That's uh, Vasquez Rocks in California. That's where it's happening in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that at the time. I didn't even think. And I've even been to Vasquez Rocks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's cool. I haven't it. been yet. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Seven of Nine is getting examined by the doctor and mentions this simulation to, her, to him that, you know, she's lost this simulation 19 times now. And the doctor asks if he can go along and, and witness it. Seven says, yes, you can come, but I don't want your help. I don't want you to aid me against it. That would negate the purpose of this kind of thing. So he's like, yeah, I promise I won't, I won't uh, do that. And uh, so, yeah, we get the rerunning of the simulation again, but this time the doctor's there. But interestingly enough, the Borg drone seven of nine sees the doctor and starts going after him as a victim. And, I kind of had an inkling at this point of what was going on because the doctor's kind of hamming it up a little bit. He's like, no, don't keep your tubules away from me. And I totally <laughs> could picture Robert Picardo in this role, just like just giving that little bit of extra the, as the doctor kind of playing it up and hamming it up a bit here. Yeah. And I was like, why is seven so concerned for the doctor? Why is the doctor? He's a hologram. Like he can't be assimilated. You know, <laughs> I was like, but yeah, he's playing it up. Oh no, don't hurt me. Please don't. Uh, yeah. I was like, okay, he's obviously doing something on purpose here. He's testing seven. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And I, and that's what he was doing. Yeah. And of course, seven of nine is telling seven of nine to stay away from the doctor and, and, basically leaps at the Borg drone version of herself and comes to the doctor's defense and manages to overcome the Borg drone. She herself gets, you know, would, would basically be assimilated as well or, or killed, but she saves the doctor and the doctor kind of uses this to say like, you had sufficient motivation this time to overcome this other version of yourself, you know, before something was holding you back. You weren't able to overcome her, but because you were coming to the aid of a friend, you were helping a friend, you were defending me, you were able 
to overcome this. And that shows this part of humanity that you have that you may not have acknowledged in the past. And I really love that. I thought that was a great takeaway from the story. When she's a Borg drone, she doesn't have that humanity. Now she does, right? And she has to find where is the strength in the humanity because she's not the same person she was before. The motivation of the Borg is to assimilate lives. Now she's learning that the motivation of, of being a human is to save lives. So mm-hmm. now the motivation still revolves around lives, but it's saving them, not assimilating them. And that was part of the lesson that she learned. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. You know, I think these short stories are an opportunity to delve into a, a character study in this case, you know, like taking this character and seeing what makes them tick. And I really appreciated this. I thought this was a great look into Seven Psyche and. I could totally see this. You said something before we started recording that some of these stories feel like they could be the B-plots of episodes. I could absolutely see this as a B-plot running through another episode where, you know, there's some away team in danger and yada, yada, yada. But meanwhile, Seven of Nine is dealing with this with the Doctor as the the B-plot through the episode. So it worked really well for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. And like you said, because I mentioned it before the show, but sometimes I like the B stories better than the A stories sometimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this would have been a real strong one. Yeah, for sure. Final thoughts, if if there's anything additional you want to add and a rating for seven is greater than seven. (laughs) I would say for a short story like this, because you don't have a whole lot of time, it is wise to focus on a character like this and dive deeper into them and really get into the psycho of them, the psychiatry of them. But I would say that I would give this seven out of seven. I like that. I'm not going to give it the full marks, but uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was great. I, I actually, I can't think of anything that I, that I didn't like about it. So um, maybe I will give it full marks. I, I really enjoyed the story. I thought it's the perfect use of this format and the characters seemed right to me. Like even the doctor acting out of character acted out of character the way the doctor would, if that makes sense. I don't know. It just yeah. seemed right to me. So uh, I was going to give it seven of nine, but I think I'm going to give it nine of nine. So I, I, I liked this. nice yeah i kind of realized giving it seven of nine was just for the joke so it's better than that it's a nine of nine i give it a seven of seven you give it a nine of nine so there's seven of nine there you go absolutely (laughs) perfect well let's move on to the second of the two stories in the actual physical magazine uh this one is called quality of life by christopher cooper this one falls outside of what everything we just said about this other story of, you know, these being kind of like B plots of an episode. This one definitely does not feel that way. It feels like its own self-contained thing, very different type of story. And we're set at a location that seems to be somewhere other than earth. Uh, We're not given really a name for the species or anything like that, but there's this scientist who's working to fuse organic and cybernetic components. And she has this, this manservant, he calls himself an assistant, but it's pretty clear he's a servant or a, or of some kind. 
who seems to have already been implanted with cybernetic components. He's kind of part machine, part man, and it's the stately manner and Q arrives at the door and meets this servant and eventually meets the scientist and ends up giving the scientist a view of things to come should she continue down this dark path of trying to fuse uh, humanoids with cybernetic components. Hint, it's the Borg. So uh, this was a very different story. What did you think of this one? When I started this one, as I was getting more and more into it, I started to think, oh, is this the origin of the Borg? Yeah. You know, is he gone to the past? And is he going to change this and create a new timeline? Or is he going to warn the scientist to not do this, but knowing the scientist is going to do it anyway? Like, I wasn't really sure what he was attempting to do, if not just entertain himself to see how the Borg started. But then as you get further in this, it was more that this isn't necessarily the origin of the Borg. It's more of his warning to someone starting something up like the Borg again. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And I had that same thought as well as I was reading this. I thought, oh, is this the origin of the Borg? And my thoughts went to a line from the Coda trilogy that I really liked, where they find out that the Borg have many origins in different timelines and that kind of thing. So I was like, oh, this could still work if this is like the origin of the Borg that could still work with the destiny trilogy and, and all these other origins we've gotten because, well, it turns out this isn't the origin of the Borg, but it's an event that could result in something very similar down the line. And Q is kind of warning this scientist about that. There's a few things that I really like about this story. First of all, anytime Q is involved with the Borg, I find it very fascinating because Q and the Q continuum almost seem scared by the Borg a little bit, which is wild to think about because like what the heck could scare the Q and like, there's that line in the Voyager episode where he's talking to his son. If the continuum has told you once, they've told you a thousand times, don't provoke the Borg. And he's like, got this manic look on his face. And you're like, are the Q scared of the Borg? That's crazy. So I like the idea of Q saying like, oh, this is going to happen again. I need to do something about this. Are the Q really possibly threatened by the Borg in some way? Maybe. I don't know. An assimilated Q is a very scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think a Q could be assimilated, but I think it's interesting that concept you're bringing up. I hadn't thought that much about it. Maybe it's not so much that they themselves are afraid that the Borg could do something to the Q continuum, maybe, but maybe it's just there is an attachment, you know, like when we talked about season two of Picard and how that ended you know, Q's attachment to Picard. And I think I even remember saying it's like Picard is almost like a pet in a mm. sense to him. So maybe they look at not just humanity, but, you know, most species in the universe as something they are entertained by and also want to protect and they feel like they have a responsibility and the Borg just keep attacking them and it bothers the continuum. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah, that could be. 
I also like the idea and kind of going back to what I was saying about the Borg having different origins and, and that kind of thing. Like maybe like the Borg are inevitable and there's many different ways they kind of come about and the Q regret not stopping that first time. So anytime it kind of pops up, they're like, we got to nip that in the bud and stop that from happening again or something. I don't know. There's just like something more fascinating there that I, I would love more exploration of. There's actually a great short story and I've brought it up before in one of the strange new worlds books where the Q end up being assimilated by the Borg. Like it's like the end of the universe kind of thing. And Q shows up and he's like, goes to Picard and says, you were our hope. We really thought you could, save us but and that was an explanation as to why q and the continuum were so fascinated with picard so you know Mm. it was it was a really interesting story i won't spoil it because it's really worth checking out i know i've talked about it i can't remember which book it's in but uh that would be one i'd love to talk about in a future episode for sure dang i was just gonna say do you remember which book it's in because i thought oh i haven't read all those and just for some people who don't know, we're not talking Strange New Worlds, the TV series right. in those books. This is the anthology books before that. They're also called Strange New Worlds. I've read maybe two or three of those books, so I haven't read them all. So I don't recall if I've read that story. So I think it is uh, Alpha and Omega by Derek Tyler Attico in Strange New Worlds number eight. And it was the grand prize winner of of that book as well. So yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. And Derek Tyler Attico, incredibly talented author, someone I'd love to have on the show at some point, actually. He wrote another uh, Deep Space Nine short story in uh, the most recent Strange New Worlds short story anthology. Really, really good. Definitely check that story out. I'm making a note of that right now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the other last thing I wanted to say about this story Uh, There's some great lines in it talking philosophically about, you know, what this scientist is doing and and what her intentions are. And Q says at one point, you're forgetting basically the only question that really matters. Why? And the Borg don't ask that question anymore. They're simply mindless automatons going through life, trying to acquire things and add to the collective, but they don't they've lost that spark of, for lack of a better term, humanity. They don't ask that question why anymore. And that's the the fundamental difference between sentient species that exist and what becomes the Borg. I really thought that was fascinating. I loved that line. Well, that's a question that I do ask myself every so often when I watch something or read something about the Borg. I'm like, what? why why are the borg doing all this why is it so important to assimilate like what i guess it's just their survival but do they really need to just keep growing and growing it's like yeah why just it's just like well it's in the programming that's that's what you're supposed Mm -hmm. to do and they just do it yeah and they don't they don't appreciate life anymore they're not asking the big questions they're just going through the motions and that's really interesting oh and the the other thing i forgot to mention this story did it it felt kind of like doctor who-esque to me like i don't know like this manservant with the cybernetic components and this this doctor creating things and q kind of stepping in to show them the error of their ways it, it felt like 
kind of like an episode of Doctor Who set in a Victorian manner or something like that. I don't know. I, I got that vibe from it. That's funny. I got the vibe of Frankenstein from oh, it. Oh, yeah, totally. That too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Doctor Who Frankenstein episode merged with Star Trek. <laughs> I love it. That's the that's the logline there. Perfect. So final thoughts and a rating for quality of life? Yeah, I really like this one. It seems very much like a side story for Q that is examining Q's perspective of the Borg or what little, you know, I mean, the fact that what we just discussed, that this brought up that conversation was something really uh, interesting. So actually, it's probably moved up a little more on my list, but I'm just going to say I'll give this nine out of 10 Borg cubes. Ooh. I like it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this one. I thought it was one of those ones like at first when I started reading and I'm kind of like, what am I reading? What's going on here? I don't. And then as you get into it, I just found myself really compelled by what was going on and what Q was trying to say. I find, I, I feel like it doesn't quite stick the landing for me where they kind of do the little bit of a like jump scare thing at the end where, you know, the, the scientist has gotten this warning and she's like, okay, yeah, I won't do this. And she shuts down the experiment and she turns around and her servant is like, resistance is futile. And that's the end of the story. You're like, okay, so wait, what happened there? What? And, and apparently the Borg are like coming there as well to like assimilate them all or something. So, the ending seemed a little confused to me. Yeah. I, I was a little confused by that too. Yeah. But you know, other than that, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I'm going to give it, I'd say four out of five put upon servants who don't realize how badly they're treated. I felt bad for that guy. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, but he got his revenge at the end. I, I guess I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little confused. Yeah, because like the Borg are coming to attack, right? Or something like that. Yeah. So it's almost like, what was the point of Q pointing this out to the scientists? Is it just to show that what you're about to be attacked by is something you are in the midst of creating? Yeah, but you won't be able to anyway, because you're going to get assimilated by the Borg, but she still learns her lesson and shuts down the experiment. Any, I don't know. It, that seemed weird to me, but... Yeah. yeah, it's almost like he's saying, you know, it's people like you that caused this. And I want you to understand what you're what you were doing could have resulted in what's about to happen to you. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That makes sense. I mean, Q's got to have hobbies, too, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could take up podcasting. That might be good. There you go. I'd listen to that for sure. <laughs> Can you imagine John Delancey doing a Q podcast on a regular basis? As Q? That would be so yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you foolish mortals with your listening devices. Make sure to rate <laughs> us on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and if you don't, I'll do it. <laughs> well, uh, let's take a quick break here and uh, we'll be back. We still have two more stories to get through because we, of course, have the digital supplement that was sent to subscribers. So uh, we'll be right back after this brief break with our thoughts on those stories. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, John Blaber, and Jesse Earle. Thank you all so much for your support of Positively Trek. 
If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash positively trek. You get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shout outs, associate producer credits, and more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you to each and every one of you. And now let's fly. Our next story that we're talking about in this digital supplement to the Star Trek Explorer magazine issue number two is by a staff writer from Star Trek Voyager, Lisa Klink. And we have her story, Retribution. This story is interesting because it's set after the end of Star Trek Voyager. They've returned home. They're back on Earth. And in Janeway's hometown, there's kind of a reception where a bunch of the uh, Voyager crew members are attending. It's funny, we get this impression that they're still quite famous at this point because they've made this daring journey across the Delta Quadrant to get home. And Seven of Nine seems to be a particular object of interest to a lot of people and apparently gets marriage proposals on the on a regular basis. <laughs> I know. I thought that was a little weird <laughs> because in, especially like in Picard, for example, it's like, you know, people seem to be afraid of her because of the Borg implants and she was a former Borg. So it's weird to hear that she's always getting marriage proposals. And I'm thinking, well, if she's walking around in a cat suit all the time, well, that might have something to do with it. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, they're they're all at this reception. We find out a little bit about what has happened with uh, a lot of the crew members. Chakotay's got his own ship with Harry Kim as uh, a lieutenant. This this must be an alternate universe because Harry Kim got promoted, so that that wouldn't fly. I'm just <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Poor Harry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, the thing is, he gets promoted, but he's a first officer, so. Good job, Harry. You're finally a lieutenant. And to make up for all the weight, we're going to make you a first officer. Yeah, no, way to go. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Seven of Nine here, of course, as as we mentioned, and, and Janeway. And apparently also um, Tom Paris and Bolana Torres have been gifted the Delta Flyer by Starfleet, which... Uh, you know, that's kind of cool, I guess. It feels like, you know, the U.S. military giving one of their officers a, a fighter jet or a bomber or something. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hopefully they're responsible with that, I guess. But that that seemed odd. But okay, I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that they gave it to them, but it's on the conditions that they do certain missions or something with it. Like, mm. there's still a tie to Starfleet. Yeah, it's funny because the language in the story made it sound like it was like ownership. And, right. and I think that's kind of where they were going. But like, it could also just be that like, that's their ship. They're just assigned to that ship right now kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Now it does sound like, hey, we'll just give it to you and you just, hey, it's yours now. Do whatever you want with it. Yeah, Have fun. Here's the keys, you know, just give it a wash and a wax every once in a while. and. <laughs> But unlike what you said about the military, I mean, the thing about it is that Tom built the ship. He designed mm. it. He built it. So in a sense, it is his, you know? Kind so. of. I I still don't feel like the U.S. Air Force would give like an engineer who designed a plane 
maybe that i don't know maybe that's something they do i don't know but regardless uh it comes in handy in this story because at this reception there's this andorian who makes this big show of 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 wanting like i guess a picture with seven and, and wants to asks her to marry him and she of course turns him down and he makes this big show of kissing her on the hand and shortly thereafter seven of nine collapses and the doctor determines that she's been infected by a pathogen. They detect Andorian DNA at the infection site, which is her hand, and determine that this guy inf- deliberate- deliberately infected her. And we find out that he was a father of children who were assimilated by the Borg. So he's seeking retribution against seven for the crimes of the Borg. And they have to race off after him to find the original pathogen to synthesize a cure from. So, uh, that's kind of the main thrust of this story. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on this? I liked how this started off because like we were saying earlier, seven gets all these marriage proposals. He's even from this Andorian, <laughs> which I think is kind of weird and a little funny and such. But then, like I said, relating back to uh, Star Trek Picard and what we've learned about people having problems with her being a former Borg, this is proven to be true that the Andorian is really trying to attack her. He wasn't interested in marrying her. He used that as an excuse to touch her and infect her. And he that's what he wants to do is kill off anybody that has something some connection to being a Borg or having been a Borg. And so that supports that whole thing that she has to struggle through is the bigotry and the prejudice against being a former Borg. So I like how that started off and how then they have, you know, they have to go get the ship so they can save her life. So good start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciated that as well. And all of that, but also even just the little tidbits of what's happened to the Voyager crew. And we've seen different versions of different people's interpretation of what happened to the crew after they got home. But I liked this just little bits of like, oh, that's where that's where he ended up. And that's what's going on here. Yeah. So the beginning of the story, I'm definitely enjoying after the Andorian beams away and they they start chasing after him through the solar system with the Delta Flyer. Again, thanks to Tom and Bolana who have it there. It turns into kind of more of just a, a kind of chase thing and just action and trying to to chase this guy down and Chakotay shows up with a medical transport ship to kind of head him off and all this sort of stuff. It was interesting, but I felt for myself, not the best use of this short story format. It just kind of felt like a little bit of mindless action for the action's sake. I don't know if that's uh, an opinion you share or not there. It is because what I said earlier is this started off Mm -hmm. good, right? (laughs) And and I'm not going to say it ended bad. It's not that, but it was, Yes, very much just a chase scene. Chakotay comes in and it's like, okay, now we got the two of them there. They're able to beam onto this guy's ship, stun him, get the pathogen, and the story's over. Yeah. I mean, it's like, now, if this was something on screen and maybe, you know, there was a lot, you know, the chase scene is interesting, it's fun, and maybe there was more going on and like, 
I don't know, something happens where Tom or Bellana gets injured and they're almost dying and the stakes are, and you know, there's communication coming back to their ships, you know, to the Delta flyer sevens, not going to make it, you know, and the time is ticking and the intensity. It just didn't have that feel though. It was just, they're chasing, they're chasing, they're chasing. And I think there was one communication maybe from the doctor, like, where are we on this? Or we're still trying to get them. Oh, we got them. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I did appreciate when they beamed over to the Andorian ship and that little conversation they had there. Uh, it's very quick, but it's basically like his motivation. He wants to kill anything that's Borg. And Janeway says, well, your children were assimilated with even them. And thinking that that might get him to realize that, you know, seven of nine is as much a victim of the Borg as the kids are, you know, but he says, no, that would be a mercy to them. I would absolutely do that. So that's an interesting bit, but I don't feel like it's explored enough. It's just kind of like a little bit of a flash in the pan. And then we're back to the action where they have to get back to earth right away and stuff. So, yeah, it almost feels to me as if the author was running out of space, like, Oh, I got to wrap this up quick because to your point, I think I would have enjoyed it more if, if Janeway were talking him down more and they had more of that exchange and what, you know, him defending why he's doing what he's doing and what, and you know, and she's saying, you know, well, you can't blame seven. She wasn't the one. They're all victims. And just kind of build on that where he's like, yes, but the, you know, this threat could still exist. You know, if they did it once, they could do it again. How do we know that they won't, these people won't become like that again and do something like this again? Like, and just have more of that argument Mm. maybe, but it does, it does wrap up really quickly. Yeah. It kind of felt a little bit like, oh, we're starting to get that Star Trek ending a little bit here. And then, oh, no, we just end up having to stun him. And then that's it. Yeah. It was a little little disappointing, a little anticlimactic, maybe. The one thing I will say, though, is the characters are spot on. Like, I love how the characters are all written. I really hear their voices come through. And of course, the story, as I said, was written by Lisa Klink, who was a staff writer on Voyager for a number of seasons. And so she really understands these characters. And I did appreciate that. All of them really felt and sounded like themselves. Even Seven of Nine getting to make a little bit of a joke here and there, where it felt like Seven of Nine in season seven and beyond, like where she's kind of come into humanity a little bit more and is able to kind of make jokes about, oh, I'm still considering a marriage proposal by this other person, where Janeway knows, oh, she's joking, but it's a Seven of Nine joke. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. The The characters were spot on. It did feel good. It was a good read. It felt comfortable. It felt like Voyager. I'm just thinking how the first story we talked about, we said feels like a B story. This feels like it should be an A story. So it needs something longer to really flesh it out more. Yeah. And to go into a little deeper. That's a really good point for sure. Well, do you have a rating for retribution or and, and any final thoughts you might have? I don't think I have any other final thoughts than what I said. So I'll give this a rating of two out of four pips that go to Harry Kim. Oh, very nice. <laughs> he's He's got room to grow, though. He wants those extra two for the captaincy for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I I wasn't 
too impressed with this story other than, like I said, getting to revisit those characters again. And and those voices were well done, I think. So I'm going to give this a three out of five military ships gifted to officers from Starfleet. (laughs) (laughs) I want one. (laughs) I want one too. Give me a, I guess they gave Scotty a shuttlecraft. So, you know, why not? (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. And if I was, as we were talking, I went back and read that section. Uh, It was Janeway that really pushed Starfleet to give Tom the ship. So, you know, it's just like Picard giving Scotty the ship. I guess they've got that, that clout to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Speaking of my ratings for these stories, we've gone five, four, three, and we've got one story left. So will the pattern hold? I don't know. Let's see. We've got Broken Oaths by Chris Dows, and this is the second story in that digital supplement. Uh, This one is set up as a debate at Starfleet Medical. This is during the programming of the emh dr zimmerman is there along with dr crusher and a number of other doctors having this kind of debate about the inclusion of a borg database in the programming of the emh this is a database basically using information gathered from assimilated drones and should that medical information be included in the emergency medical hologram Dr. Crusher is speaking, objecting to its inclusion, while Dr. Zimmerman, the programmer of the EMH, is insisting that it should be included. So the grounds of Crusher's objection basically is that it's information obtained via the suffering of the victims of the Borg and obtained non-consensually. So it's kind of like that argument about using research gathered by the Nazis during World War II experiments on prisoners and uh, one that Voyager has examined before through the character of Dr. Krell Moset in the episode Nothing Human, that kind of debate, should we use that research, even though it was obtained through these horrific methods? So kind of setting up an interesting philosophical discussion here. Yeah, it's, oh man, this one's a tough one for me because as I was reading this and the further I went into it, the more I didn't like Zimmerman, but I was siding more with Zimmerman than Crusher. Like I really, I understand the analogy you made, but it's not the same to me because these, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's like when the Borg assimilated these people, they weren't doing it as an experiment. This is a way, this information would be used to prevent this from happening again like to try to prevent future assimilations. Mm -hmm. And I can't see the, you know, as someone got assimilated, I don't see why that data should be protected because they're not really becoming themselves anymore. I guess what I'm trying to say, it's almost like death. Like if there was something used that was killing people and you could get the data that says, you know, how this is done. I don't know. I, I'm I'm struggling with this one. See, that's what's the most interesting to me is 
I'm seeing both sides of this as well. And I love that it kind of makes us question this a little bit. Like, is that, is it, I'm not sure. I don't know. And we start to apply it to real life. That to me, I'm like, okay, that's what Star Trek should do. That's, that's cool. The story itself, the debate itself, I think is interesting. The story of, of, so we've got, Dr. McCoy arriving. And at first you're not sure who there's this grizzled old person comes in and I'm like, is this McCoy? I think this is McCoy. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. It's McCoy. We find out he arrives to kind of argue the case and he kind of seems to be siding with Crusher a little bit in some of the, the points that he makes, but then wraps up by saying, you know, but this information could potentially save lives. This is where it got a little silly in my mind. Just he's like, maybe someday there'll be a ship stuck far away and they'll have only the EMH to rely upon and they'll need that information. I'm like, okay, that's a little on the nose, you know, Voyager in the EMH. Okay. Of course. But I do find it interesting that what he basically does is, we, we've got this argument where Dr. Zimmerman feels like he's way over here and ticking everybody off. And Dr. Crusher feels like she's way over on this other side, like so far apart, they're never going to agree on anything. And McCoy comes in and kind of argues for seeing things from the other perspective and bringing people closer, which I'm like, okay, I like that. I like the idea that you need to seek common ground. And eventually Crusher concedes the point and withdraws her objection uh, to the use of the data saying like it could help more people than it harms. Uh, but we get the little tongue in cheek, like she's, I'll never use the damn thing. And what was her line in first contact? Like, God, I swore I'd never use one of these things before she activates yeah. the EMH. So <laughs> that was cute. Yeah. I liked that. Yeah. But uh I don't know. There's some stuff that's a little bit too on the nose, but I do like the idea of coming together to find common ground. I think I would only fault this story in the fact that I didn't think Crusher's argument was strong enough. Like I Mm -hmm. needed more from her. I felt like we were getting a lot from Zimmerman, but I didn't really understand why she felt like it was so important to protect it. Well, I took an oath and, you know, I just don't think we probably should use this. And I, I just needed more reasoning in, from that, I think. Yeah. No, fair enough. I th- I think it needs a little bit more of a stronger through line for Crusher as well. I, I would absolutely agree with that for sure. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty straightforward. I, I think this is, again, a good use of the format where it's not like a life and death high stakes thing that's happening. It's a debate at Starfleet medical about an issue. I think that's a really good use of the short story format for myself. So yeah, final thoughts and ratings for broken oaths. I think this was good. Um, like I said, I think Crusher's argument need a little more work, get a little more strength behind it. And it feels not like a, a story or a B story. It feels like a scene from an episode yeah which is kind of cool like i almost would like to see how this plays off later you know like at what now that we've made this decision was this the right decision or not how does this play off later in the episode you know it's almost like that kind of feel to me so in that way it can feel a little open-ended but i would give this one 
four out of five EMHs that are going to protect the data and the other one's going to go wild with it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. It breaks the pattern for me. I think it's it's it upticks a little bit at the end here. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I'm going to give it, I'm going to say four out of five doctors annoyed by Zimmerman being a bit of a jerk. I want another one who's not annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. McCoy, maybe? I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not sure. McCoy's like, I'm too old to get annoyed right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was a fun kind of visiting of these stories. I'm excited for issue number three. I think I like the idea of doing this on a regular basis and it makes for a, a nice change of pace from the novels we kind of read. So did you have a favorite of the four stories that, you, you know, one that you were like, oh man, I really enjoyed reading that story. That was good. I think the seven greater than seven was my favorite because it really dove into the psyche of seven, you know, and, and I, I, yeah, it just, it felt like something out of an episode, like a B storyline. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think that was my favorite followed fairly closely by quality of life. I, I really liked both of those stories. The quality of life one is one that I feel like I'm going to revisit just kind of to read through that and get a little bit more out of it. Like it just the setting and all of this seemed really interesting. I want to go back to that. But seven is greater than seven, I think, is, yeah, the best story of these four for sure. I think you nailed it on the head because I read these a week ago and then I quickly reread them again before we were recorded. And I felt like quality of life was even better by reading the second time around because I knew where it was going. So mm. it was it it, it kind of changes the way I looked at it. Yeah. Not that I didn't like it the first time. It's just now that I knew where it was going, it just it just seemed more interesting to me. Do we know when issue number three is coming? I'm not entirely sure. These are quarterly. So this one I got just a few weeks ago and we're in May. So I would say probably August. No, I would say probably September. We'll, we'll be sure to do another one of these episodes when it comes along. But uh, yeah, until then... Uh, where can people find you if they want to discuss any of these stories or anything else Star Trek wise with you? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram at just Admiral Rex, no underline there. And you can also find me on Facebook and in our Facebook discussion group. I'm in there and also in our Goodreads group where we list the upcoming books and comics that we're going to cover here on the show. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And of course, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. If you want to reach out to the podcast, we are PositivelyTrek at gmail.com and at PositivelyTrek on Twitter. Thank you so much to everyone for listening and especially to our Patreon supporters. We really do appreciate you. Check out patreon.com slash positively trek if you want to become a monthly donor to the podcast. But if you're not able to do that, no worries. We love just having you listen to us each week. So until the next episode and, and the next book club episode, I should say, we are going to be talking about the classic Star Trek novel Final Frontier by Diane Carey first time I've ever read this novel one of the, the early great ones 
uh, from the early days of pocketbook Star Trek novels. Excited to talk about that one. So we'll see you then. Until then, as always, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.